Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri. The Pioneer Murders, Hildebrand and House, about 1800. A report dated March 19, 1800, translated from the original French. I, Pierre Trichet, commandant at Carondelet, pursuant to orders from Don Carlos de Halt de Losses, commandant at St. Louis, repaired to the Renault Forks with the few militiamen I could assemble in pursuit of the Indians. On reaching the place, I found an old man, dead, head cut off and laid at his side, scalp taken, and body full of wounds from musket shots. And a few paces off, a boy, eight or nine years old, head cut off and lying near him, face smeared with blood, with a small piece of maple sugar in his mouth, no wound on his body from either musket or knife, a dead cow, one horn carried off, dead calf, head cut off, beds in the house cut to pieces, utensils broken and strewed about the house, ascertained that the murders had been committed by the Osages, buried the bodies not known at this time. Welcome to another edition of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri. I am your host, Mindy Hudson, genealogist at the Jefferson County Library. Each week we bring you stories about murder and other shocking events that have occurred in the county throughout our 200-year history. Jefferson County is located approximately 25 miles southwest of St. Louis, Missouri. Bordered on the east by the Mississippi River, it forms the foothills of the Ozark Mountains. The following story deals with controversial issues of relationships between the native occupants of the land and the arrival of the Europeans seeking to establish a home. For thousands of years, the hills and bluffs of Missouri have been home to a vast array of wildlife. Fish and turkeys were plentiful. Persimmons, berries, and walnuts grew thick in the bushes and trees. As the European immigrants continued to flow into America, the desire for land and the promise of cheap, desirable acreage naturally lured the pioneers ever westward. Unscrupulous politicians and speculators saw an opportunity to profit from the naivety of the native races occupying the land, who had no true understanding of the white man's traditions. There can be no question that it was a recipe for disaster. With hindsight and modern sensibilities, this generation sometimes tends to judge history through the lens of modern experience, and that can be an unfair assessment. In most cases, we take for granted we will have a warm house in which to live, and a comfortable bed at night. Our food is easy to obtain and plentiful. Few must put forth much physical effort to provide a living for our family, and if we face hardship, there is usually some sort of assistance, government or religious, to aid the need. Our ancestors rarely had those luxuries, whether indigenous or immigrant. They were simply trying to survive. 
The story of the clash between the pioneer settlers and the native tribes of Jefferson County at the turn of the 19th century is an example of the lack of understanding on both sides as to the traditions and expectations of other cultures, and it demonstrates how quickly that misunderstanding can lead to tragedy. For thousands of years before the first European explorers ever laid eyes on the land, Missouri was home to indigenous tribes such as the Shawnee, the Delaware, the Missouria, and the Osage. According to archaeological and historical studies, huge herds of bison made an annual trek through the land in the summer, followed by bands of native peoples who hunted the creatures for their meat, hides, and bones. An article in the August 1, 2018 edition of Missouri Life entitled In Missouri History by Ron Sudalter states that the tribe known as Osage was originally called Washashi, meaning children of the middle waters. They were a strong, fierce people. Described by George Catlin, an artist based in St. Louis in the 1830s, the men were exceptionally tall, usually reaching six or seven feet at adulthood. They plucked or shaved their eyebrows and most of the hair of their heads, leaving only a strip or tuft of hair that extended down their back. He went on to say that the thickness of their war paint was an indication of how severe punishment for offenses would be doled out upon an offender. Light paint might leave the enemy alive, but those who were met with black painted warriors faced an especially brutal end. The Osage were semi-nomadic, but at one time their lodges, built to hold as many as 15 people comfortably, dotted the landscape. The women cultivated, gathered, and took care of most of the household duties as the men hunted or went to war. While most of the native tribes lived peacefully beside their European neighbors, the temperament and actions of the Osage were not as predictable. It is generally agreed that the first known white settler to occupy the land now lying in Jefferson County, Missouri, was John Hildebrand, who arrived in Missouri Territory from Pennsylvania on a flatboat. Together with his wife, Margaret Garlock, he received a Spanish land grant in the Merrimack settlement of Saline Creek about 1770, according to a historical account in Goodspeed's history. Still Spanish territory, Hildebrand took the Spanish oath of allegiance to, quote, his Catholic majesty, end quote. This practice was common for those who wished to settle on the west side of the Mississippi River. Some were even required to be remarried by a Catholic priest. Few ventured to settle outside of the fortified areas such as St. Louis for fear of Indian attacks. Despite the danger, the Hildebrand family began cultivating the property. According to an article entitled, Hold the Fort, found on Ancestry.com, author unknown, Peter Hildebrand, brother of John, came down the Ohio River with his wife, Mary Garlock, in June 1780 with Meriwether Lewis. 
in 1782, he received a Spanish land grant and settled on Big River on the opposite side of the river from the spot where Maddox Mill, later called Cedar Hill Mill, was later built. Warned by the lieutenant governor of Indian depredations in the area soon after their arrival, the Peter Hildebrand family obeyed the order to vacate to St. Louis for a time. Once the initial threat had passed, the Hildebrand family returned to their home, anxious to begin their lives. Unfortunately, that decision proved to be deadly. In a 1903 edition of the Missouri Historical Review, there is an article from the Draper Manuscripts in which Elizabeth McCourtney, daughter of Peter Hildebrand, described her father's death. She stated that in August 1784, Peter had mounted his horse and rode about two miles down the river to hunt. At some point, he was shot and killed. When his saddled horse returned home without him, the family sent one of the sons to Morgan's Lick, about 15 miles away, located at the mouth of the Merrimack, to get help locating Peter's body. When he was found, he was not stripped or scalped, but the assumption was formed that the Osage had killed him. He was buried at the spot. Some time later, his widow, who was caring for their seven children, was remarried to a Frenchman by the name of Robert Owens and moved with him to St. Ferdinand, Missouri, between Florissant and St. Louis. A short distance down the road, in 1795, a gentleman named James Head made a settlement on a tributary of Big River and gave the creek its name. He built a small log house beside a running stream and waterfall. He lived there a short time before abandoning the property due to the increasing number of Indian raids on outlying settlers. Not long after, Adam House made the decision to move into the abandoned cabin. House had obtained a Revolutionary War grant and moved first to St. Ferdinand, now Florissant, Missouri, where he lived six years, according to research by Della Lang. Adam longed for the freedom to cultivate his own land and heard that there was an abandoned cabin near a spring not too far south of the city. His wife, Anna Wheat, agreed to accompany him, but was afraid to take the young girls into such a harsh and dangerous territory. Their eldest daughter, Drusilla, was married to Hardy Ware, and the couple agreed to take care of the younger girls, Mary and Margaret, until conditions were safer. The area where the House family settled was spectacular. It was located in the valley, which was surrounded by lush hills and watered by a stream said to be, quote, strong enough to turn a mill wheel, end quote. Adam had already planted and harvested one crop the prior year when Anna became ill and died. He buried her beneath her favorite cedar tree. It was about the end of February, 1800, and Adam was busy gathering the maple syrup to make sugar. 
son John had gone away from the house to hunt when he spotted smoke. Realizing it was probably Indian signals, he quickly raced home to warn his father. They armed themselves and waited. Finally, two of the imposing Osage appeared, and Adam met them in the yard with his gun. Although he could not understand the language, it was evident they wanted his horses. This is the point where cultural differences can turn into life and death situations. To the Osage, when a person requests the use of your property, it is expected that the owner comply. The property was generally returned to the owner. However, Adam had only two horses, and to his mind, if he allowed them to take them, there would be no end to the requests for his meager possessions from the natives. He refused them, raising his gun, and ordered them off his property. Remarkably, they did leave, but returned later in the night to take the horses. Adam House was furious. He instructed his 15-year-old daughter, Betsy, to pack provisions for him as he'd be gone a few days. He headed to the lieutenant governor's office, where he lodged a complaint. The lieutenant governor warned that any action they took against the Osage would lead to dire consequences, but House would not be moved. He wanted his property returned and the Indians arrested. Reluctantly, the lieutenant governor agreed. When Adam House returned home, he watched nervously for several days, fearing reprisal. It finally came at the beginning of March. As John was fetching water, he heard the Indians coming. He rushed back to the house to warn his father. It was raining as Betsy was sent scurrying toward St. Ferdinand to call for help. Soon, a band of black-faced warriors had laid siege to the cabin. Under cover of darkness and rain, 13-year-old John managed to sneak past the natives and ran towards Kimswick, about 12 miles to the east. As he was running, he tripped, and the rifle he was carrying fired, hitting him in the arm. Although the wound wasn't fatal, it made the journey more difficult. The boy was able to dress the wound and continue his desperate mission to seek help. Only Adam and his small son Jacob were left in the cabin to fend off the angry horde of Osage. He had had enough ammunition to hold them off for two days. As the hours passed, it must have been devastating for the old man to realize the terrible fate about to befall him and his young son Jacob. Handing his child a piece of maple sugar to soothe his cries, Adam flung the door open and stepped outside the cabin, gun raised, in a final attempt to take down as many warriors as possible. John was able to find help with the Tyler family near Kimswick. Mr. Tyler gathered a posse of men willing to ride out to the scene, but it was too late. By the time they arrived, Adam House and Jacob were dead. Both were decapitated, and Adam was shot several times, and his scalp was taken. Eight-year-old Jacob was found with a piece of the maple sugar in his mouth. Fearing the natives may still be nearby, the group turned back to seek military aid for the pursuit of the warriors. 
when the commandant arrived and found the grisly scene. He did not know at that time the identity of the two victims. The bodies of father and son were buried on the property. Pursuit was made to capture the Indians, but accounts differ as to whether they were successful. A few weeks later, Ensign Pascal Leon Serre was sent by the governor to the Adam House place to make a deposition of the property and surviving children. Robert Owen was appointed guardian of the minor children. Robert was the second husband of Mary Garlock, whose first husband, Peter Hildebrand, had been killed by the Osage only a few years prior. He was now raising two sets of children whose fathers died at the hands of the natives. By 1808, the Osage and other tribes gave up their ancestral lands to be reduced to a pitifully small tract of reservation land in Oklahoma. The fate of the nation hung precariously upon the actions of the U.S. government. Having found a vast supply of oil on the Oklahoma property, members of the tribe were set to become the wealthiest group of people within the nation. The story of the unscrupulous and despicable actions of the government's dealings with the tribe is worth exploring. The book Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Grann, which was recently made into a movie, tells the story in detail and is recommended reading. At one time, the Osage was the biggest tribe of Sioux Indians in the nation. Today, there are less than seven full-blood Osage living. Over time, the legend of the house massacre was handed down to the local residents. There are varying versions of the story, but piecing it together with the available documents supports the likelihood that this version may more closely match the facts. The spot where the massacre occurred became known as Houses Spring. Eventually, the S was dropped and became House Springs. In the 1860s, the Burgess family purchased the property and built a beautiful two-story home out of bricks made from local clay. The Weber family was the last to call the place home. In the 1980s, Highway MM was expanded, cutting off the flow of the spring. The property was bought by commercial interests and a strip mall and several fast food restaurants sit on the grounds. A few years ago, the local high school painted a large mural at the intersection of highways MM and 30, honoring the humble origins of the town. And recently, there has been an effort to revitalize the spring. Even so, only a handful of the passengers in the hundreds of vehicles that pass through the bustling area know that beneath the pavement, there lie the bones of natives and immigrants whose fascinating stories gave birth to the names of places we live today. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Murder and Mayhem in Jefferson County, Missouri, brought to you by the Jefferson County Library Genealogy Department, located at the Northwest Branch, 5680 State Road, PP. 
High Ridge, Missouri. For more information, call us at 636-677-8186 or email mhudson at jeffcolib.org. Join us next Tuesday, February 8th at 5 p.m. as we talk about the family affair murder, Sam F., which occurred near Hillsboro, Missouri, around the time of the Civil War, when friend was pitted against friend, brother against brother, and father against son.